The Bible is under attack. Politicians are starting to train their sights on religion, threatening that if they're elected, they're going to take away tax exemptions from churches and ministries, and all because, I believe, because they're the last line of defense against abortion and sodomy. You know, a politician's message only reflects his constituents, only reflects the society as a whole. He wouldn't be saying these things if he didn't get votes from them. So he's reflecting what's thinking of a lot of people going on. Throw out the word, and the kickback is, which we also see, a decline in social, social, social morality, ethics, values, and civility. The coursing of political campaigning is another symptom of the love of many waxing cold. People are just becoming braver and braver in what they say. The, the type of words that come out of their mouth, it's something we have never seen before. How do you respond if someone says, I don't believe the Bible because there's no such thing as truth, which is being taught in many universities and colleges today? Well, first of all, the very statement that there's no truth falsifies itself. If truth does not exist, then the statement that there is no truth can't be true either. It creates a double entendre, because as we learned in grammar school, two negatives make a positive. I ain't got no money means you have money. Think about it. Just the opposite of what you mean. Self-contradictory statements are like, well, if you're absent, just say I. Or a brother used to say, only the mass minority follows the truth. So when there's no ultimate truth, anything efficacious is only, I guess, for entertainment purposes because it really doesn't matter. It's really not true. That's where we're coming in our culture today. Philosophers like to say that truth is only what you believe it is. Nothing is what it seems. How can a student be tested for right and wrong on a test if the right answer is only what he believes? It's really ridiculous to confuse fact and reality. There are no absolutes. It only exists in your mind. See, that's another way of discounting the scriptures. Try arguing with the arresting officer, police officer, that, well, my speed limit is not the same as your speed limit. <laughs> what about the natural world? Are there absolutes in our world out here in nature? Are there uh, facts that, that exist because they exist? Or is it just in someone's mind? Are natural laws always true or variable? Do our personal beliefs determine them or not? Do the laws of physics and gravity apply to you but not to me? If we both jump up a cliff and I go flying away and you go dropping like a rock, is that because you have a different perception of gravity than I do? It's absurd to say law is variable and truth is relative. It's as ridiculous in the natural world as it is in the morality of the scriptures. The Bible is true and accurate. Hundreds of fulfilled prophecies show how accurate it really is. Just one way of showing we can trust the scriptures, that the word 
can be trusted completely. It's never been proved wrong yet in anything it says. It's completely accurate and reliable. Blaise Pascal, renowned French mathematician, scientist, and theologian, speaking of chance fulfillments of Bible prophecy, said, Today, the only way Bible scoffers can explain away the astronomical probability is to discredit the prophecies in one way or another. Their only alternative is to accept that G.D. is the author of the scriptures, that the Bible is a reliable book of genuine divine prophecy. You can trust it. But to prove Messiah, we have the prophecies which are solid and palpable truths. By being fulfilled and proved true by the event, these prophecies show that these truths are certain and thus prove that Yahshua is divine. Yahshua fulfilled hundreds of prophecies down through the minute detail. The chances are that just a fraction of them could have happened by chances beyond the pale of possibility. It's astronomical. It's impossible. Be careful about drawing conclusions where there is no connection to verifiable fact. This is the basis of what I'm going to talk about today. We at YRM live in a, don't live in a, a never, never land of speculation, guesses, fantasy, doctrines, which is how false movements really are born. We deal in truth verified by scriptures, or try to. When you make up your own truth, you're treading on quicksand. You can go anywhere with it, and you can mislead anybody with it at will. Many deceivers are out there doing that right now, on the internet, on other communication media, just as Yahshua warned about it in the last days. By their fair words, they're deceiving the simple, Paul wrote, Romans 16, 18. They're deceiving the simple, Take this illustration showing the absurdity of many off-the-wall teachings. Ever wonder why fire engines are red? They have four wheels and eight men. Four plus eight is twelve. Twelve inches make a ruler. A ruler is Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth II sailed the seven seas. The seven seas have fish. The fish have fins. The fins hate the Russians. The Russians are red. Fire engines are always Russian. So fire engines are red. Each of these statements might be true, but they don't go together. There's no connection. False teachers do the same thing, brethren, with parallels, where there's no connection. Be very cautious. Some claim Yahweh comes from Zeus that the name of Yahweh is Zeus. Follow me now on this. The Roman counterpart to the Greek Zeus is Jupiter. Another name for Jupiter is Jove, which in Latin is pronounced like Yahweh, which they say mimics Yahweh in sound. Therefore, they say Yahweh derives from Zeus. Are you seeing a connection? I'm missing something here. But that's how fire engines are red. Well, who came first, Yahweh or Zeus? Which language came first, Hebrew or Greek? 
or Latin. Come on, think a minute. Heresies are filled with forced associations and overlooked, deliberately avoided and twisted facts. Homemade connections, forced interpretations, unprovable claims, misapplied verses and words. You know, I can twist scripture any way I want if I try hard enough. You probably can too, if you think about it. Whichever way I want. I can make forced connections where there aren't any and draw conclusions on the flimsiest of pretexts. A made-up premise, false assumptions, historical bunk, using what seems right and then legitimize it all by contending it's a direct communication from Yahweh to man and you need to listen to me. That's how deceivers operate. That's why Paul cautions the believer in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. That's what you can prove. That's what you can solidify from Scripture. And so we at YRM verify by the Scriptures, not by some alleged personal private communication from somebody claiming to be from on high that no one can prove. You have to trust him, whoever said it. So if it doesn't pass the smell test, we discard it. If it's not out of scripture, we discard it. It's got to be out of the word. I can elevate the apocryphal book of Jasher into inspired scripture status. I can make symbols, say whatever I want to. And who can say otherwise? Where is the authority? Where is the Rosetta Stone to test it? When it comes to personal interpretation, it's the wild, wild west. Heretics can be very creative, so watch out and check it out. Watch it and check it. Don't just fall for it. I can see Yasha's face in a slice of pizza and get a lot of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people to believe it. Hey, come see my face that I found, Yashua, in, in the pizza. Until a thinking person asks, well, how do we know what he looks like? Do we have some picture of him, some autograph picture? Do we even have a painting older maybe than the Middle Ages of him? How do we know that's him? Just because you say it. Well, your picking a pizza is, is uh, disproved by the word. Be careful if you ever go the route of following someone's conjecture. Recall the Bible code book has now been discredited through serious investigation. The upshot is beware of the unprovable. Beware of someone just saying it. A typical hoax is to create your private teaching by going outside the scripture, which Yahweh condemns in no uncertain terms. Some groups even make up their own Bibles. You got the JWs, got their own Bible. You got the Mormons, they have their own. You have no authority to test it, but they got the Bible. That's the only way you can test it. Out of their own Bible? Well, they got that covered. How clever. But the Roman church does one better. They say the church has more authority than the Bible. So you have to believe us. You can't even test it by the Bible because the church overrules the Bible. That's a pretty neat trick. But we don't need anything more than the word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the word is provable for doctrine, instruction in righteousness. Psalm 119.89 says forever the word is settled in heaven. You don't need additional word. You don't need additional scripture. At both ends of the Bible, Deuteronomy 4.2 and Revelation 22.18-19, 
We're warned against adding to or taking away from the word. And all of these things are variations of doing that, these false teachings. If you do, the Bible says you're subject to plague and losing your salvation. Serious stuff. Serious stuff when you stand up and start teaching the word that isn't the word. We don't need added revelation. It's hard enough living by the inspired scriptures and get people to understand that without piling on uninspired teachings that don't make a bit of difference anyway. When someone claims to get direct revelation from Yahweh, I ask, really? You mean you found something that he forgot to put in his word? This for me? Really? He waited 6,000 years to add more information that he doesn't have already? Really? And millions fall for it. Millions who are deprived of this earth-shaking teaching of yours. you got to be kidding me. Is your personal experience with Yahweh going to add to my salvation? If so, then it wasn't enough to give it in the rest of the Bible. I guess Yahweh was waiting for you to come along to complete the endowment. After five decades of studying heresy, and believe me, I've seen it all. No, I haven't seen it all. I'm sure there's more to come. I can say without hesitation that those claiming they got a special private message from Yahweh, a revelation from Yahweh to give to others, is the first step toward heresy. That's where it starts. It's their code for, listen to me, Yahweh talks to me, I am your all in all. That's a cult in the making, brethren. If their revelation was as necessary as they say, why didn't Yahweh deem it important enough to put it in his word and to tell me. If he tells you, I guess it's for you, but he hasn't told me. When it comes straight from the scriptures, then it's for all of us, and we don't need your augmented truth. Deuteronomy 13 says, don't listen to such prophets who present their own private doctrines as legit when they are the only authority behind what they teach. Charlatans inside and outside the truth, have been going around a long time and will continue to try to capture people. Paul said in Acts 20.30, Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. See, there's a motive behind all this. There's a motive. Peter confirmed in 2 Peter 2.1, But there were false prophets also among the people. Notice this even as there shall be false teachers among you. See, it goes on. The beat goes on and on and on. Back then, now, and more now than before, probably. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the master that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. When I read that some heresies, will de- or heretics, I should say, will deny the Messiah... I thought of someone who fits that description. And then he goes on, and and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, notice the words, shall they with feigned words, made up words, make merchandise of you, get you to follow them, get you to support them. That's the reason whose judgment now is of a long time, lingereth not, and their damnation slumbers not. They're not going to get away with it. As 
Paul Harvey used to say, you can run, but you can't hide. Notice how swindling and heresy go hand in hand. I wonder how these guys who charge $25 for a 50-cent CD or DVD are going to fare when they have to face the judge. I wonder how that's going to work. We're told to test all things. Many innocent seekers discriminate or don't discriminate. You have both. And some will fall for a lot of flim-flam, hocus-pocus. And they all keep falling right into the ditch. It's easy to be deceived and make things up as you go. It's easy to be a deceiver. It takes hard work to dig out the truth, harmonizing the word, and then teaching it. It's even harder to live it. Are these people really living it? Are they just mouths making up stuff? How about, I can make up stuff too, you know? I can make up something like, hey, I just learned that the ark is in Arkansas because it sounds like it. I can do that, even without a shred of evidence. There's some who will believe it. How about Bathsheba got her name because David saw her down there taking a bath. I can make up that story if I wanted to, ignoring the fact that the actual Hebrew behind her name means daughter of an oath. You see, test it with a word. Close your eyes to what is solid and provable and focus on the fantastic. That's the tactic of the flim-flam artists out there. Or how about this? Take the name Yehuda, the Hebrew for Judah, and because Yahweh says, my people shall know my name, simply remove the D, the Dalet, and you're left with the name Yahuwah. That's out there too. Where does the Bible authorize anyone to do that? Who does that? Who says that's legitimate to take a word, a name, and take a letter out and create another name from it? Who does that? Who has the right to do that? I'm not going to fiddle with Yahweh's name or Yahshua's name. Some will, will do that. Names are sacrosanct. Every one of us knows that. You mispronounce someone's name or give them the wrong name. Oh, that's not, uh, I'm sorry. I'm Jim, not Pierre. You know, people get very sensitive about that. What about Yahweh? He goes way over with the importance of his name. You're supposed to treat it with honor and respect and don't fiddle around like they do. They've got the proof right there. They've got his name 7,000 practically times in the Old Testament and it's not enough. They have to fiddle with it, make things up. We must never, never must we add to the word. Back years and years ago, there was a book by the JWs, Let Your Name Be Sanctified. Now, these people have spent countless hours on the name, countless hours. So they have to know the truth. It's, we can spend five minutes and find the truth, but uh, they obviously, they know the name. And here's what they say on page 20. It was not before the year 1100 that a vowel sign for the letter O was put in the middle to make the combination read Yahowah. Eh? Says the lexicon for the books of the Old Testament by Ludwig Kohler and Walter Baumgartner, volume 1, page 369, on and on. 
the wrong spelling Jehovah, revised version of the L-O-R-D, occurs since about the year 1100. And then it offers its arguments in favor of Yahweh as the correct and original pronunciation. How about that? They admit it. They know it's not Jehovah or Yahovah or Yahovah. They know his name. The man responsible for introducing the word Jehovah into the English, I'm quoting now from the book, uh, was William Tyndale, the Roman Catholic preacher who uh, came up with the name and put it in the translation. Or at least put it in the translation. It may not have been original with the Jehovah, but that's, uh, that's what they say. And uh, I understand that you may not be able to find this book anymore among them, but uh, I got two copies. I'm not going to take that one. They take that one. I got some of the other ones. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so besides taking letters out of names and making other names with it and then saying this is Yahweh's name, how about the Lunar Sabbath Charade? How about that one? That's a great one. Sounds plausible to some. After all, we establish the months and the feasts by the crescent, the lunar crescent. Why not the weekly Sabbath? It makes a lot of sense to me, people would say. It may seem to make some sense at first, blush, but it's not in the word. That's the big problem. They never checked it with the word. We're not to add to or take away from the word. Scripture says Yahweh set the Sabbath continuum at creation from the first day of creation. The weekly, start, uh, the weekly count started by the sun and not the moon, which wasn't even in its orbit until the fourth day, the day of creation. So it had no phases yet. A crescent can't start the Sabbath when it wasn't even phased yet because it wasn't put in its place until the fourth day. Yeah, that's a big problem for him. And it had nothing to do with setting of days of the week anyway. The weekly countdown was already in progress without the moon. But they say, well, maybe he started the week over on the fourth day after positioning the moon in its orbit. Really? So you're telling me that Genesis lied to me in the first four uh, at least first three days, that that wasn't really day one, two, and three. He started over. He said, whoops, I, I guess I made a mistake. i got to set it by the moon, which he never says anywhere else in the scriptures. The count was already in motion. The events on the first day would then change to another day, like the fifth day and so forth. So I guess Genesis can't be trusted and is not inspired. And that's just the tip of the iceberg with that doctrine. For a dozen other basic reasons, the loony lunar Sabbath teaching is total nonsense. Check our booklet, The Lunar Sabbath Illusion. We've got all sorts of reasons it doesn't work, can't be, isn't scriptural. You've got to think a little before you jump on someone's bandwagon. Study it out. Don't just swallow it. What's their real motive? You'll find out in time. It won't take long. Went to a meeting once in Oklahoma. Gave the message there, by the way, to a little group. And uh, I don't know, I guess I was talking about Satan and 
The guy raised his hand afterwards and said, wait a minute, uh, you, can't, you can't kill a spirit. Really? Well, you're telling me that Yahweh who created Satan can't destroy him? Oh, hadn't thought about that. Where did they get this idea? Someone told him that and he believed it. It isn't hard to make up a teaching, brethren. It's not hard at all. Hey, I could create a whole new fantasy. I could start teaching that Moses played tennis. Yeah. Why? Because he served in Pharaoh's court. And that's what I could say. And where's the evidence? Well, I could make up a, a good case and some would believe it. I could twist some Hebrew terms like... Moses' name in Hebrew is drawn out. So when he served, he drew out his serves. Really, yeah. Which meant he played tennis. And the staff he used, well, that's a mistranslation of the word for racket. Yeah, people would believe it. I could twist and reinterpret statements like, let my people go not to keep a feast. It's an idiom really meaning so that they can watch the game. Really? Yeah. Imagine then all the texting and tweeting and blogging and Instagramming and Facebooking all over the internet with my new teaching. Wow. I have some new understanding. I have some new truth. It would be interesting to experiment like that and see how far and how fast my newly created doctrine would go. But no you don't fool around with Yahweh and his word. You don't mislead people. That's a sin to falsify the word. Could never do that. But my made-up craziness is not as crazy as some real-life ones that people do believe floating around today, deceiving a lot of unsuspecting, who don't have the knowledge, the time, or the ability to check it out. Like a lot of people, we give them some information and they run right to the minister because they don't know. They don't check it out. They don't dig into the word because they're not into the word. Take the Jehovah, Jehovah fantasy we talked about. A belief that was disproved a century ago is coming back. Even disclaimed by those named after it. Even they don't say it's right. The facts are no farther away than the Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, the Masoretes, who from about the 6th to the 10th century, worked to reproduce the original text of the Hebrew Bible, replacing the vowels of the name YHWH with the vowel signs of the Hebrew words Adonai or Elohim. So that's where they get the E, the O, in Jehovah, Jehovah. The J, of course, didn't exist, so it couldn't be that. Latin-speaking Christian scholars substituted the Y, which does not exist in Latin, I'm still quoting the encyclopedia, with an I or a J, the latter of which exists in Latin as a variant form of I. Thus, the Tetragrammaton became the artificial Latinized name Jehovah, Yahowah. Still quoting, although Christian scholars after the Renaissance and Reformation periods Use the term Jehovah for YHWH in the 19th and 20th century. Biblical scholars again began to use the form Yahweh. People ask, where did you guys come from? What's your history? Well, we go back basically to a a renewal of understanding, a rejuvenation of uh, Yahweh's name back in the 1800s. That's what this is basically saying. 
when people realize that, wait a minute, we, we got to get his name. We got his name right. What name do we baptize in? We got to get that right. Early Christian writers such as Clement of Alexandria in the second century used a form like Yahweh. And the, this pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton was never really lost. Oh, his name's been lost. We don't know what his real name is. That's a big one. Well, it says, even the encyclopedia knows better. Many Greek transcriptions also indicated that YHWA should be pronounced Yahweh. So you can prove it in the Hebrew, you can prove it in the Greek, but I guess in the English it just transforms to Jehovah, a a non-name. Well, but you can find his name 7,000 times nearly, 6,823 in the Old Testament if you go into the Hebrew. And you know what? Even Google knows better. My uh, grandson was sitting there. He says, hey, Grandpa, listen to this. He, uh, he asked Google. They have some kind of search thing on Google. I'd forgotten what the name of it was. He says, what's G-O-D's name? Answer came back, it's Yahweh. Even Google knows. Very few enmeshed in a teaching ever check the teacher. You notice that? This is a real problem. This has been going on for centuries. They never check the guy teaching it. That's important. The Bible tells us to. In politics, they call it ad hominem. That means to the man. They ignore the message he's he's sending out. They ignore what he believes, and they attack him personally. That's what the, what's going on now. They attack the man, which has nothing to do with his message in politics. So that's what they do. They attack. The issue, the issue is not the thing. It's the man, to the man. Well, in the case of someone teaching a doctrine which doesn't ring true, don't just check the teaching Check the guy out who's teaching it. You'll be surprised. Check the person behind it. Examine the source. It is necessary. In fact, the Bible says we're supposed to do that. Take a serious look at the person professing the strange doctrine before you swallow it. Has he deceived and ripped off others? Is his life a moral train wreck, a spiritual disaster? Now, I will... I know. I believe that people can change. That's fine. But what's he doing now while he's teaching what he says is the truth? What's he living like? Would Yahweh really endow such a charlatan to be his representative, giving him special knowledge when he's not even living Yahweh's word? Would Yahweh trust someone like this with precious salvational truth? Come on. Come on. Come to reality. Does Yahweh want to give him a part of his righteous kingdom? Or is he just a fraud looking for a piece of the pie? Again, check the man himself. Titus 1.6. They profess that they know Elohim, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. And then somebody I want to follow. These are active traits. These are what he's doing now. Fraud has been going on since Peter and Paul ministered in Acts. Paul warned in Acts 20, 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also of your own selves. This was for us too, brethren, not just for those people back then. Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Perverse means distorted, corrupted, perverted, and to cause to turn aside. It's been going on a long time and it still goes on. Jude 16 adds, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, walking after their own motives, ulterior motives. And their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Oh, remember, uh, we're not to honor the ones that have the chief seats in the synagogue. That's what they were doing back then. That's what they're doing now. If someone has riches, if someone has a position, you want to, you want to get in on it, you, you, try to, you try to pander to the guy. That's why he says, don't do that. Back in uh, Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our master, Yahshua, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. But he talks so well. He sounds so good. All those people are behind him. He's got to be right, right? Well, there are a lot more people behind false worship. Yasha warned, don't be deceived. Remember, they asked him, what about the signs of the end? What's going to happen? It must be that deception would rise into outstanding numbers, outstanding occurrences. Or he wouldn't have said, first thing out of his mouth, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, he said, as a sign of the end times. It's got to be rampant. And I believe we're seeing it. Test the prophets. Judge righteous judgment. Prove all things, the Bible says. Hold fast to that which is good, that which is right, that that you can prove. How then can we discern? Yasha said in Matthew 7, 15 to 16, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. What personal credentials does the self-proclaimed teacher have? I'm talking about, does he meet the requirements for leadership? 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Does he? If he doesn't, there's a problem. Mistakes are made and the mistakes live on. And we get to deal with them when people are ordained when they don't qualify. And it's happened over and over and over. Next thing you know, they're off in a flim-flam doctrine and people are all confused. And they come to us, what's this Lunar Sabbath stuff, you know? We got to sit and explain it to them or write a book about it. And we got to go through this over and over and over because... The guy shouldn't be out there teaching anyway. He doesn't qualify. He never says, oh, I don't qualify. Uh-uh, no, no, don't, don't, don't ordain me. I, 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 don't, I don't fit the... No, no, they just go right ahead with it. Does he honor the commandments in his life? Does he teach them faithfully to his family and then follow them? Does a teacher have a family in subjection? Now, there's a litmus test that the majority fail to pass. Is he motivated by agape? Love or lucre? A minister once visited a man wanting to show him the truth. This was real life. In the conversation, the man asked, uh, where's your wife? 
oh, she's not in the faith. Let me make a suggestion. Go convert her first and then come back and talk to me. Our home life speaks of our hearts and must parallel our message. What we are is how we live and act in private, not when, you know, you're out there showboating. What is the reputation among outsiders? There's those people who are preaching Yahweh's word have to have a good reputation from the neighbors. If they have knowledge of bad things going on, there's a problem. If they don't know you, they just come up with something off the top of their heads. That's another thing. But if they can tell you some bad things, um, oh boy. If he doesn't test positive for the right qualities and qualifications, head the other direction. There's a reason 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are put in there. There's a lot of standards that are not easy to live up to. I once served on the board of a ministry that was considering a man for deaconship. A day before the decision, his wife came up to me and says, "Ah, I got to talk to you. This guy, he's, he's gone now, so. But he said, she said, she's gone too, by the way. But she said, he has a problem with abuse of his family, of his children and his wife. And it's ongoing, and it's bad. And because of that, his own children were not in the faith. So I voted thumbs down. Can't ordain somebody like that who's not, you know, an example to the truth, for the truth. Because he failed 1 Timothy 3, 2, 4, and 5. You know, Yahweh is committed to, or YRM is committed to serving the truth in the, in the world so long as Yahweh directs. If he's not with us, like the, the ones that came up to Yahshua and said, hey, they're preaching in your name. What are you going to do about it? He says, if they're legit, you know, if it's of Yahweh, it'll prosper. If not, don't worry about it. They'll fail. Although we see the world in a secular tailspin and churches getting loose and looser, more worldly, there's still good news. A recent blog reported that an assembly of G.O.D. pastor and most of his congregation have now switched to the Sabbath from Sunday and the feast days. Just like my wife read that to me. She saw it on a blog. And the blog said, apparently there are a number of AOG congregations that have begun to take all of Yahweh's word seriously. The blog noted, and including a hundred Southern Baptist missionaries who walk as Messiah did, quoting, keeping Sabbath, eating clean, and keeping feasts, including several pastors who made the switch in the last year. Now if they just come out all the way, and honor Yahweh with his name, you know? But it's, it can, and you know, you see things going south, but Yahweh always raises a good thing going up, a good thing. We're going to see that too. We're going to see people realizing that where the truth is, and there's more to uh, what they've been told in the truth that they have not been told, or not told the whole thing. Well, in a nutshell... Don't be satisfied with any teaching until you first prove it, until you first study it out, check it out, and then check out the one teaching it. Does he have a good report? 
from inside and outside, does he have a good report? Or is there something in his life that uh, uh, needs to be corrected? Is Yahweh then working with him because he's got some bad things going on? I don't think so. You know, there's a boatload of flim-flam out there in fantasy land. Be careful before you jump aboard. May Yahweh bless you.